Hey everyone, this is Joe Graves, Central City Church. Um, on Sunday mornings, we've, for the last couple of weeks, have had some technical difficulties and haven't uh, been able to get our uh, sermons recorded for the podcast. And so this morning, since we've gone a couple of weeks without a podcast, and a couple of people specifically said they wanted to hopefully share this message with some close friends and family members, I thought um, I would just take a second to record it uh, for you. So uh, it's the exact same message we gave on Sunday morning. Uh, but I'm sitting instead of a, a sanctuary or a worship area, I'm sitting at my house with a mic hooked up to my phone. So same message, probably going to sound a little different, but uh, here's uh, what we talked about on Sunday. So if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here at Central City Church. And uh, growing up, there was a verse that was really special in my heart um, that I memorized and almost was kind of like a rebellious verse for me, or like one that I would... Uh, memorize in defense about being a young person who was choosing to follow Jesus. And it was 1 Timothy 4.12. It says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, and in purity, and in faith. Now, uh, I will be honest, I, I probably memorized uh, the first half better than the second half. You know, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Uh, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to not look down on people who are young today. So we're currently in week three of a series called It Takes a Village. We've been talking about the absolute necessity of living life together in community, that, that no matter what age you are, no matter what season of life you're in, whether we're talking about our kids or young adults or older adults, we need the village and the village needs us. So last week, among other things, we talked about the role of children in the church and how we love kids. We don't see them as a burden or a distraction, and, and we, we really believe it takes healthy, trustworthy community to raise a child in the faith, and how all of us are in this together. And so today we're going to continue to talk about the different seasons of life. Um, and to do that, we're going to uh, show a graph. Um, now, I know some of you listening, you love a good graph, and uh, because this is a podcast, you're not going to be able to see it, but such is life. Um, it is actually a really great graph that summarizes the findings of Barna Research, a research company that does a lot of statistical analysis on the state of the church in America. So over the last decade, we've done, uh, they've done a survey including 50,000 responses, and one of the questions they asked each person had to do with the religious activity, uh, how they spent their time doing religious stuff like going to church or Sunday worship or Sunday school or small groups and youth group and stuff like that. And then they ran those numbers based on their ages, which tells them which age group is most religiously active age group compared to each other. So at what age are people most active religiously? So when you look at this graph, you can see the picture of America Church, the church in America, and how active these different groups of life are in the church. So you might uh, be curious uh, to even guess. I'm curious what you would think. Is it Which, do you, which group do you think is the uh, most active in the church? Is it children? Do you think it's high schoolers? Do you think it's young adults, um, adults in general, or the older generation? Which, which would you pick uh, as being the most religiously active in? And which would you think is the least active in the church? Would you think that it's uh, children or high schoolers, young adults, adults or middle-aged children, uh, adults or middle-aged adults, and, and, or the older generation? Now, when I ask this question in a group, a lot of times people will say that the oldest generation is the most active in church and that young adults are the least active. Well, the reality is, based on their findings, is that uh, high schoolers are the most active group in the church. That, uh, and that kind of makes sense. Uh, children and young families are equally active because the children are there at the same time as the parents at church. But high schoolers come to church a little bit more often than families. 
But something happens because the least active age group in church is actually young adults. So high schoolers who are extremely involved in church and then young adults who aren't involved very much at all. And this is for a lot of reasons. Um, college, uh, human just development, you're kind of coming into your own, you're figuring out what you believe and what your life wants to be, uh, the busyness of getting a job or, or moving to a new city or starting school. There's a lot of reasons for why young adults are the least active in church. But in the past, um, what we've found is that young adults, um, once they started families, typically what happens, you find someone, you marry them, and then eventually you have kids. Once they had kids in their life, they would come back to church. And that still happens. Um, there are people who left the church after high school and they have a family and they end up back in church. But uh, what they're finding is that, that more and more aren't returning. What they're finding is that young adults who leave church after high school are leaving it for good. Uh, which means between high school and young adults, something very significant happens. Young adults are saying more and more to the church of their childhood, you lost me. I was hooked at one time, but something in me changed and the world changed. And maybe the church didn't change um, or maybe it changed in the wrong way. But, but whatever it was, something happened and you lost me. You Lost Me happens to be the book Barna published on this very topic. A great resource if you're curious why young adults are feeling more and more disconnected from church. A lot of what I share today um, is actually rooted in this book and their findings. But, but one thing you need to realize is that this isn't just limited to young adults. This is something that is happening to young adults, maybe more often than other age groups, but this, is, this exodus from church is seen in every age group. And I say that because I know for a fact that there are people in our community who aren't young adults. And it might even be people listening right now who aren't young adults who can totally relate to this. They've left the church or they wanted to leave the church or they went to church but felt completely disconnected from the church for the same reasons this book says young adults are leaving the church. Another research company, the Pew Research, has also done a lot of work around the state of church in America. And they have found a rather sobering statistic. They have found that, and, and this won't surprise you, but they have found that while Christianity is growing in other parts of the world, Christianity is actually in decline in the United States more and more people who were raised Christian are no longer claiming to be Christian. They are what we call religiously unaffiliated. And for these individuals, researchers have a name. They are religiously unaffiliated, which means when they fill out a survey and there's a list of religions to choose from, they scroll all the way down to the checkbox at the bottom that says none. And thus, they're often referred to as nuns. Now, I say this because I don't want you to get confused. We're talking about nuns as in N-O-N-E-S, not nuns of the Catholic variety. Um, and so that's just going to, you know, no way you'd be confused there. But the decline of Christianity in America and the increase of the nuns, um, which now you can't hear nuns and not think about, you know, uh, Catholic variety. But the, the, the decline of Christianity in America and the increase of the nuns can be summarized in a very simple ratio. And it's a ratio that I think is worth remembering. It's from the Pew Forum report, and the ratio is one to four. For every person who has joined a religion, this is a direct quote from Pew Forum, for every person who has joined a religion after having been raised unaffiliated, there are more than four people who have become religious nuns after having been raised in some religion. So for every person who comes to faith, there are at least four people who grew up in that particular faith uh, mostly Christianity, who leave that faith and claim no religion at all. We are seeing four times as many people leave faith than join, one in four. 
And this ratio includes people of all ages, but it is impacting young adults more than any other age group. But it's not limited to only young adults. So, but I don't need to tell you that. I bet you know someone who grew up in church and at one point looked back and said, you lost me. I'm out. In fact, I'm curious. How many of you know someone right now who grew up in church and who doesn't attend anymore or doesn't attend very often or has given up on the faith entirely? How many? I was talking with Adam, who's leading our campus young adult small group about this stuff. And I asked him a very similar question. I was like, you know, how many friends did you grow up in church with that, that are like, you know, no longer go to church? And uh, it was like, well, most of them. So it's happening and it's happening often. It's impacting a lot of people's lives. The American church is in decline. But I don't think it's all bad news. You didn't see that one coming, did you? I don't. I don't think it's all bad news. Here's why. Let me explain. When you look at the general life cycle of Christianity throughout its history, in a variety of places and cultures and nations, there are a couple of patterns that emerge. First, the gospel is introduced to a region and slowly it takes root. Then eventually something, uh, sometimes a revival happens. You know, large numbers of people start responding to the gospel. And this is what happened in America immediately after the birth of our nation. But over time, Christianity grows and becomes a major force in the region. And when that happens, it becomes the norm. It's just normal. This happened in Europe. Eventually, Christianity was so pervasive that it was expected as the norm that everyone was a Christian in Europe. And not just a Christian, but a particular brand of Christian. Most European countries had one national church, and still do, that was just a part of their cultural national identity. So if you were Polish, you were Catholic. If you were Swedish, you were Lutheran. If you were Scottish, you were Presbyterian. If you were English, you were Anglican. Christianity was just a part of the national identity. And this happened in the United States from the very beginning, um, but really peaked back in the 1950s. In fact, some would argue that it didn't start this way, that we, we kind of formed our nation with the intentional uh, with, the, with intentionally trying to avoid this by having a separation of church and state. The church and state wouldn't be formally linked like so many countries that we were leaving in Europe and starting something new. But by the 1950s, this was almost unavoidable. It was just assumed by the 1950s that if you were a good citizen or a good business person or an overall honest human being, that you were a Christian. Just as an example of how pervasive Christianity had become in the 1950s, it was in 1956 that the phrase, in God we trust, became our national motto. It wasn't our motto from the beginning or before 1956. It was an invention of the 1950s marriage of religion and politics. And in 1954, the phrase, under God, was added to the Pledge of Allegiance. Before that, the Pledge of Allegiance didn't talk about God. It didn't have God in the Pledge, but it was added in the 1950s. In other words, in the history of America, we had never been more Christian as a nation than in the 1950s. In fact, church attendance peaked in the 1950s. More people went to church in the 1950s on average uh, as a percentage than any time before and any time since. So for America in the 1950s is when our faith peaked here in the United States and it became as pervasive as possible and we're now living a generation after that. Now some would consider this the golden age of Christianity in America and some would consider it the golden age of America. In fact, when people talk about having things go back to the way they once were, you know, make things like they used to be, they're often pointing back only as far as the 1950s. They just don't know it. But was the 1950s the golden age? I don't think so. Not to mention issues of racial segregation and unequal rights for all kinds of people, including women. It wasn't the golden age as far as I'm concerned. 
But more than that, I think there's a great danger when the accepted reality in any religion uh, or any area becomes a particular religion, especially Christianity. When this happens, Christianity is often confused with the values of the nation it belongs to. And you can look throughout history to see that when Christianity reaches this level of influence, the opposite actually happens. For some strange reason, it loses its influence, and instead, it begins to be influenced by the nation it was first trying to change. And then the values of the nation become strangely intertwined with the values of the kingdom of God. This was true for Rome and the Catholic Church the Byzantine Empire and the Orthodox Church, Great Britain and the Anglican Church, and America with all of its various branches of Christianity. And it'll likely be true for other places Christianity peaks in the world. The problem is that once Christianity is wrapped up in the national identity, it loses its uniqueness and, and, and it falls out of favor and so do his followers. So, so that's what's happening. That's the world we live in. In the U.S., you don't have to be a Christian anymore to be considered an honest business person or a person with integrity. In fact, some might think you have less integrity if you are a Christian. And so you could be a great business person or have integrity without ascribing to any faith, which means a lot of people who were claiming the name of Christ, maybe because it was good for business, aren't anymore. Which, on the one hand, is really bad for our numbers. But in a strange way, it might be really healthy for our churches because there's nothing more unhealthy for the body of Christ than to have churches filled with people who are Christians in name only. Because you can't invite people to follow Jesus and to surrender their entire lives over to Jesus if they think they already have. So, on the one hand, Christianity is no longer the norm. So only people who really want to follow Jesus are followers of Jesus. And I think that's a good thing. On the other hand, many churches are still holding on to the values of our nation instead of the values of the kingdom of God. And because many churches are still engaged in this strange marriage of church and state becoming a mouthpiece of, of one particular political party or the other, hoping that America will become what it once was or become what they wish it was. Well, those values are becoming more and more difficult for many young adults and other adults to become attached to. Here's what I mean. Barna did extensive interviews capturing story after story of people who left the faith and found a number of trends amongst these stories. And I, I think many of them make sense, so I want to share a few with you. Now, I want to say beforehand, and I didn't mention this in the church and I regret it, I don't think that we should look at a particular age group or a particular culture and say, hey, let's make our church more friendly to that culture um, so they want to be a part of us. I don't think that's healthy. Um, but on the other hand, I don't think that we should look at a culture or age group and get really defensive when they challenge what we've always done and just automatically assume because it's different that it's wrong. And so I want to share these things and say, like, this is just what Barna found. This is the research that Barna found in regards to why young people are leaving the church. And I think we should just recognize it and we should wrestle with it and say where where should we be different where should we be more like christ and would be be more like christ be attractive to young people in a particular way and where do we need to where is being more like christ maybe not attractive to up-and-coming generations and i'm fine with both but here's here's the first trend the first one is inclusion versus exclusion young adults in just the world we live in in general um we live in one of the most diverse uh uh, cultures ever. I mean, people from all of the world can be in relationship with one another. 
um, people from different religions and different perspectives and different political, like we all are able to live in the same country and, and even visit each other's countries. And we live in, with the possibility of so much diversity. And so one of the values of younger generations is diversity and inclusion, that, that they want to be friends with people who are different from them. Even people that they might disagree with, even people that you know don't line up with normal rules of Christianity. And so one of the values of upcoming generations is inclusion and the desire to at least be friends with people, even if you don't agree with them. Now the church, on the other hand, many churches in particular, are some of the least inclusive, least friendly, and certainly least diverse places in America. Not all, but many. In fact, when it comes to racial diversity, I'd say most like almost all churches. The church in America um, is not diverse. And it was Martin Luther King Jr. who said it first, you know, Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America, and it still is. And so you have a generation, younger uh, generation that is once, and it celebrates diversity, and then you have a church that often doesn't exhibit it. And so you have this generation that desires diversity and inclusion, the idea that that we can be friends or friendly with people we disagree with who are different from us and, and different from each other. And so when they come back to church after leaving and only hear messages of exclusion and even sometimes hate, well, for many who they interviewed in this book, that was the point they said, you lost me. The second is uh, science versus anti-science. You know, and it's whether the smartphone that you're listening to this podcast on or the algorithm that gives you your Google search results or the new medicine that eases your pain. Science is a part of everything we do. And for young people they interviewed, uh, many were going into fields of science, whether that be engineers or medical professionals or, or something else. For them, when they returned to church and found sermons and people who seemed to be so very anti-science, well, for many who they interviewed, that was the point they said, you lost me. The third one is secular versus sacred. The reality is, is people nowadays want to go to the movies and they want to listen to good music and they want to engage in great art. And the more and more uh, young people and people in general are finding deep spiritual meaning even in all kinds of culture and art. So when they return to church and the older adults or the people in church are telling them what they can and can't do and giving them a hard time about going to an R-rated film that covered something really important uh, culturally happening in the world or listening to music that, that wasn't Christian. For some who they interviewed, it was conversations like that that they reached a point where they said, you lost me. I, I just can't do it. In fact, last night I was at the Grandview Hop and a guy walked up to me and uh, we were there representing our church, just telling people about that we're here. And he said, hey, do you preach the gospel? And I was like, yeah, yeah, we preach the gospel. Uh, of course, you never know what they really mean by that question uh, or what they mean by the gospel, but we preach the gospel. Let me just be clear. And he says, fire and brimstone. I was like, well, not usually. I, I mean, I, I can be pretty challenging. In fact, someone said, you know, like a little bit of <laughs> a little bit of fire and brimstone sometimes because I can I can prick the soul a little bit, but not fire and brimstone not usually. And he says, well, I just really hate going to my parents' church because all they talk about is how gay people are going to hell and how Kanye West is the devil. And I'm just thinking, this is so, I mean, like, especially the Kanye. I mean, where do you, in your sermon planning, decide, oh, next week, you know, I'm going to preach a sermon on how Kanye is the devil. Uh, but this kind of rhetoric around relationships with people and, and, and people with different orientations and, and music, and this is something that for a lot of people are saying, you lost me. 
So the next one is doubt versus certainty. And the reality is we live in a world with a lot of information. Uh, we can Google and have access in our very fingertips like an amazing amount of information. And um, uh, which means we can have questions. We can ask. And anything I say uh, on this podcast or on Sunday morning, people can Google and, and get a different opinion on. And so this raises a lot of questions and it raises a lot of doubts. Um, and what's interesting is for a lot of young adults or adults in general, um, there are questions that they have that the church doesn't have. And then there are things they're certain about that the church is actually raising some questions about. So let me explain. Um, take, for example, uh, something that I've heard from a lot of young adults and, and, and other people who, who fall into this category. They'd be like, well, one thing I know for sure is that we should love everyone. Which, to be fair, is a great biblical principle. It's, you know, it's the basis of the gospel. You know, God loves everyone. Um, but the, you know, say, I know this for sure. I'm not sure about everything in the world, but I know we should love and respect everyone, regardless of who they are, and whatever. But what we hear from the church sometimes is like, well, we should love everyone. And the church is like, well, maybe. <laughs> you know, like, well, what do you mean by love everyone? Does that mean we let everyone serve? Or, or does that mean, you know? And, and, and so like, there's like a certain amount of doubt when we say we should love everyone. The church is like, well, I'm not so sure. On the other hand, a young adult might say, you know what? I'm not so sure about you know, God creating the whole world in six days. I'm not saying God couldn't create the whole, day, the whole world in six days. I just, that, that's not the evidence that I'm seeing in science. So I'm, not, I'm not so sure. I've got some questions around that. And the church will be like, no, 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 no. You're not, you don't question that. The, the God created the world in six days. That's what happened. There's no room for doubt. And so that's what I mean. Like, there are some people uh, who have questions that the church is so very certain about. There's no room for questions. And then there's other things that we're very certain about. And the church is like, no, 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 there's no room for questions. So when a young adult will come back to church and they, they begin to ask questions or stand up for things that they find, they, they find that people are not only unwilling to answer their questions, but sometimes even offended that you'd ask them in the first place. In other words, the church wasn't a safe place for doubt. And for some that they interviewed for this book, it was then, it was something around this that they said, you lost me. The last one I'm going to talk about is relevant versus shallow. Younger, younger generations, and I think people in general, want to be a part of something meaningful. There's so many things we could do with our time that we're looking for real connection and to make a real difference. And I don't think we're interested, um, and I'll say I'm not interested in being a part of a faith that's just going through the motions. And so I think sometimes when we go back to church after leaving it and we see people who are just checking something off their list and it's not having any real impact on their everyday life and they're just doing it because it's what they've always done, then it's like, well, what's the point? I'm not going to do this just because it's what I've always done. And for some people they interviewed, that was the point when they said, you lost me. So I wonder if any of you um, have recognized stuff like this amongst those who have given up on the faith. Over a year ago, I was chatting with my friend who does ministry with young adults in the Chicago area. We were talking specifically about how young adults leave the faith. And we noticed a trend. It was common for young people to grow up in the church and basically give up on church. And then thankfully, though, they meet someone in college who reintroduces them to Jesus. And that's the moment that they give their life to God. And I've seen this over and over again. In fact, there are people who belong to this community uh, and belong to our church who fit this description exactly. They, they had grown up in church, but it didn't connect. And when they got to college, they were pretty much done with church. They weren't planning on continuing their faith journey. But then someone met them, someone shared the gospel with them, and it was a life and death 
transition. I mean, it just changed their life forever. Well, this made us wonder, like, why, why does this happen? Why are people leaving the church to begin with? Why, why do they have to have the gospel reintroduced to them in, go, in, in college? Why can't they just accept Christ while they're in high school and, and it stick, you know, instead of so many leaving the faith like we saw in the statistics? Well, my friend had some thoughts on this, um, you know, because I was thinking, like, well, maybe we just failed. Like, a church is just not presenting the gospel to these people. But this is what he said. He said, and I quote, um, that's true, my own experience mirrors that, but what's been difficult in my experience is trying to find out where the blame lies. I remember going back to my home church after understanding the gospel for the first time and realizing that the gospel was there every Sunday. I had just missed it. And I'm guessing this is the case for many people. I bet it's there, but we're missing it. So I started thinking about my own experience, and I grew up in the church, but I too don't really remember the gospel being preached. Not because it wasn't. I'm sure it was. My dad was the preacher. He believes in the gospel. He preaches the gospel. Um, but maybe because my dad was the preacher or just because I was young, I didn't connect with it. I don't remember it. But this is what I do remember. My parents lived their faith out in front of me, not just on Sunday mornings, but every single day of the week. And the gospel, the basics of what it means to trust Jesus with your whole life, basis of what it means to surrender your life and to ask for forgiveness for your sins and Jesus to wash them clean like the gospel was explained to me not only by my parents but by many other adults I looked up to in one-on-one conversations and in everyday life. So I went to my friend, we were texting at this point, I said, I asked my friend uh, this follow-up question, did your parents or other adults ever share the gospel with you when you were a kid? The idea that like maybe, you, maybe they were sharing it in a church but maybe that's not where it's going to connect. Did someone in a personal relationship share the gospel with you? And he didn't even wait a second before texting back. He said, definitely they did not. We never talked about those kinds of things outside the church. So I got curious. And I started asking college students who came to faith while in college versus those who were Christians from childhood like myself. And the response was overwhelming. The determining factor didn't seem to be whether they went to church. The determining factor was whether their family or someone who was like family to them, another adult they looked up to, showed them what it looked like to be a Christian in everyday life. The difference was that some kind of adult, more often not someone other than their parents. So like insert right here, hashtag it takes a village. So someone other than their parents listened to them, heard them, talked to them, and connected the things that matter to them with our faith over and over again those who understand what it meant to be a christian understood it not because of growing up in church but because of informal authentic conversations with ex and experiences with older adults now here's the crazy part barna found that for those who grew up in the church and left it they might have left it for all the reasons i shared but one of the things that they had in common more often than not was their lack of relationships with older adults. Barnes says it like this in a quote, many young people feel that older adults don't understand their doubts and concerns. In fact, the majority of young adults we interviewed reported never having an adult friend other than their parents. When we say young adults and, and other adults in general felt disconnected from the faith for all the reasons they listed, what we mean is that they felt disconnected from people, including other adults, including older Christians, for all the reasons we listed. that They didn't feel like they could talk to 
the older established Christians in their church about the things that matter and the questions that they have and the values that they're trying to live out. So I want to challenge you. I want to ask you another question. Think about this. How many of you know a Christian, maybe someone who's older than you, who's very active in their church, who you would be uncomfortable talking to about the things that matter to you, things happening in this world regarding politics, technology, your doubts, your views on race, diversity, exclusion, the movie you watched this last weekend, the music you listened to. Do you know of a Christian an older Christian who's established in their faith who you'd be uncomfortable talking to about the things that you really care about. When we say it takes a village, we mean we want to be a place where every season of life, regardless of the questions that that season brings, is welcome. That the questions you have and the values you bring are important. Even when... Even when we don't agree with them, they're welcome. You're allowed to ask them. You're allowed to wrestle with it. That's the kind of village we want to be. And we want to be a village that is able to show future generations as well as any generation what it looks like to live our faith out in everyday life. Like why our faith matters. One of the reasons why our faith matters is because God calls us to make this world a better place. And that's something a lot of people who don't even believe in Christ can get behind. Which brings us to our week of service. When, uh, if, if you're at all interested in learning more about our week of service, you can go to helloweekofservice.org. Um, this is our second year doing the week of service. And not only is this a great way, I think, for us to live our faith out, but it's a great way to show our friends and our co-workers and, and people maybe who left the church why our one of the reasons why our faith is so very practical we're making a real difference in the world in fact i have a friend here at our church um, who uh, has been coming for about a year now and before that he had given up on church he's like i've done with church i hadn't gone to church in like two years um, and was just done with church forever but he's been coming to ours for a year and um what did it for him was uh he wasn't going to come to church but a friend of his invited him to our week of service. And he thought, yeah, I mean, like, I want to help people. I want to, you know, like, he's a good guy and he cares about the world. And so he goes and he volunteers. And then he realizes a church was organizing this. And he says, you know, maybe I'll give that church a try because that church is actually doing something good in this world. And so he came and he's been coming ever since. Now, many of you, I'm sure of it, know someone who's given up on church. In fact, when I ask this in church, most people raise their hands. So I wonder how many of, of you know people who have given up on church or, or kind of want to give up on church or disconnect from church, but would consider volunteering during a week of service? I wonder if there isn't someone who comes to mind right now. Now, here's the thing. This is one of the biggest events we do all year. And so if you're part of Central City Church, um, the assumption is that you'll participate. Now, if you're on vacation or you're working overtime, like you just can't, you can't make it work, totally understandable. But if you're available, our assumption is like, no, this is like we do this once a year. There's lots of opportunities to serve. So there's just no excuse. Like that's the assumption. Like come, 
be a part of the week of service. But so that's not the challenge. The challenge is this. What if you were to reach out to someone who maybe had given up on church, given up on what it means to maybe even be a Christian or or isn't sure they want to be a Christian anymore. And you said, hey, you know what? Um, Why don't you come volunteer with me? Our church is volunteering for a dozen different organizations. I'm going to go this particular time and place. Why don't you come and volunteer with me? What if God was able to use this week of service not only to serve our community, make, make this world a better place, be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world, but was to able to help some people who maybe have been hurt by the church, given up on church, or said to the church, you lost me. What if God was able to use that to bring some people to reverse the statistics, like my friend? That's the challenge I want you to do. If you are interested in the week of service, you can go to our other website, helloweekofservice.org. Um, and uh, there's a place where you can find projects, and uh, it's really simple. Um, all you have to do is uh, go to the project you want and click on the day, and you can sign up. Um, we have over 400 spots for the week of service, so we need as many people to sign up as possible. So invite your friends, help us spread the word, and uh, we hope to see you out there. So with that, let's pray. God, we come before you, and we ask that you would just continue to work in our hearts, that you really would um, help us uh, be a safe place for whatever someone's going through, and that we might uh, be the kind of church that allows people to wrestle with their faith um, and wrestle with the things that matter to them. That they wouldn't, uh, uh, that the reason for them leaving you wouldn't be us. That if they choose not to follow you because that's what they want to do, that's fine. But Lord, help us not be the reason someone chooses not to follow you. Help us be a loving, caring, compassionate group of people. In your name we pray. Amen.